0: This is Wessler Media. The Wrath of the Buzzard.
1: WMMS. Welcome back once again to these bonus episodes of The Wrath of the Buzzard. I hope you've had a chance to check out all six regular episodes if you haven't. Go to those first. I am your host, Vince Tornero, joined again by two MMS legends, John Gorman. John, hello. Hello. And Danny Sanders. Hello. It's a pleasure to have you guys here again. All right, so uh, episodes three and four, we're going to talk a little bit about those before we jump into some other good stuff, uh, and an interview with a uh, fantastic Beatle with another MMS staffer. Um, World Series of Rock. Danny, we'll start with you. Your favorite World Series of Rock.
2: The Pink Floyd show. Why is that? Hmm. I think it was the best sounding show. The sound system was incredible. I mean, for them to have the clarity of sound in a huge place like that is a neat trick. And they managed to do it. And of course, the story's been told many times about the plane. Okay. (laughs) Those who were there might remember that just as Pink Floyd took the stage... This plane flew over the stadium, and then it started to drop, and it dropped and dropped and dropped, and then when it got dangerously low, just as Pink Floyd struck up their first chord, it took off with a roar, and then took off into the sky. Wow. And I thought, whoa, (laughs) it's a hell of an intro. And the story I heard, and I don't know if it's apocryphal or it's actually happened, It fell off the radar off the Air Traffic Control Center. And the guys panicked and said the plane dropped into the city of Cleveland. Oh, my God. And all these alarms went off. And uh, I don't know how true the story is, but evidently when they landed the plane, they immediately got some big fine, which they had anticipated and worked into the uh, contract. (laughs) They knew they were going to get fined, so they had the payment uh, already prepared.
3: To, to see that and we were sitting in the uh uh in the press, press, box. press box yeah so i mean we saw this thing coming right at us
1: wow that would be an incredible experience but uh for you what was uh, your most favorite incredible experience at a world series of rock mr Jelly gorman
3: it, it's usually what came around them there's a lot of world series of rocks that are great you know uh, i just happened to witness aerosmith breaking up after that terrible concert they did the uh, band was not getting along. Uh, they were drug out beyond belief. I remember during the concert, Stephen Tyler singing one song and Joe Perry starts playing another. They were breaking up on stage, and after after it was over, it was one of the band's wives threw uh, a glass of milk at Joe Perry's wife, and the, it just dissolved from there. And I just happened to see that. I was just at the wrong place at the right time you know, to witness that. It was usually what happened around the world Series of Rock. Uh, one time when the Beach Boys played, Carl Wilson came down to MMS to play guest disc jockey, and Dennis came with him, but then Dennis disappeared. And it's like, where in the world is Dennis? And, you know, we're looking all over the place, and it turned out we were at, at the time the station was at 55th and Euclid. Dennis walked into a, a the Apollo Lounge. And he's buying everybody vodka shots. As he's buying vodka shots, he's taking another shot. And, I mean, he had to be carried out of there.
1: Wow. Yeah, you know,
3: every, every time Dennis Wilson came to town, the, the stories. You, you could do a whole podcast about Dennis Wilson, believe me.
1: Yeah, so lots of great things that happen around the World Series of Rock. And uh, some things maybe you wish you, uh, you you didn't see. But one of the things that uh, we talked about in episode four were the parody ads. And Denny, um, I have to ask you about Marijuana Helper. Uh, <laughs> that, honestly, um, to <laughs> me, is probably the best parody ad there is. Walk me into that a little bit.
2: It was during
1: the
2: 70s when there were all these products called Extendin Flavor and all of this other stuff where you would turn four burgers into six. <laughs>
1: You know what I'm saying?
2: <laughs> and God knows what was in this crap, you know, but he would – it was meat extenders, uh, if you pardon the expression. And uh, uh, so – Before Viagra. Yes, yes, yes. Right. So, we, uh, so we decided, uh, well, maybe uh, something here, to, marijuana extender, you know. The, you're running out. Maybe you need to ex- extend your stash. So uh, that's how it came about.
1: Okay, so then the other one that I have to ask about is uh, the Rick case parody ad, Dick Face. Who was responsible for that one? Because Kid Leo voiced that, it. Who wrote this? I think, I
3: think, I think Leo pretty much did that whole thing. I think thing.
1: that was Leo's. Yeah, I think I we think, probably
3: came up with a line here and there, but th- 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 I think that was Leo for the most. That part. That
2: was Leo for the most part. Yeah, like John says, there might have been some embellishment from some other people, but that was really almost all, if not all, Leo
1: that did the did the Dick Face. Let's play those spots back-to-back as we go into this commercial break. And you're listening to some bonus episodes of The Wrath of the Buzzard. We're glad that you joined us. It's a summer of surprises on Buzzard Radio. W-M-M-S, Cleveland.
4: Han, the Pattersons are coming over and we only have about enough grass left to roll one joint.
5: Oh, that's okay, Ted. I'll just mix it up real good with this. Hey, what are you doing? I'm making Marijuana Helper.
4: Marijuana Helper?
5: That's right. With Pillsburger's new Marijuana Helper, there'll be enough of this Colombian to go around for everybody. And look, Marijuana Helper makes our dope look as rich and potent as the best Red bud.
4: Marijuana Helper.
5: Now you can get as much as three ounces from every ounce you buy thanks to Pillsburger's new marijuana helper. Honey, you're
1: a genius.
5: There. Now put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Pillsburger's new marijuana helper from the makers of Angel Dust Cake. Pillsburger. It
0: really works. Hi, this is Dick Face, and I want to sell you a bike. Any bike, any size, any shape. Buy it from me. I got the best prices, the best deals, and the best service in town. No matter what your friends tell you. Now stop in today, I got a Kabuki 750 for only $49. That's right, $49 for a Kabuki 750, and for another $2,000, we'll show you how to put it together. Dick face, see me, I want to sell you a bike. See any of our 150 locations, any road, any town, you find us, we'll be there. Dick face.
6: Time to turn, so you won't burn. A reminder from the Buzzard
5: Sunburn Prevention Center.
1: So we're back, and before we get to the interview with Paul McCartney that Shelley Style did, John, I wanted you to set up a little bit how this interview came to be, because we're going to we we're, we're going to talk to Shelley about this here in a second, but. Um, Tell me, how did this interview with Paul McCartney come to be? Kind of set it up for me. Because I believe, if I'm looking at correctly, it was 1976, the fall of 1976. And it's at, uh, I think, Richfield Coliseum. Um, So how did this Paul McCartney interview come about?
3: Okay. Well, what happened is I had two passes to meet Paul McCartney after the concert, after the Wings concert. At first, it was just to meet him. And then I started probing and saying, hey, is there any way we could get an interview now, if it came to a Paul McCartney interview, I didn't want to be the one to do the interview. I wanted somebody on, on the air to do it. And what happened was, and I guess I can t- talk about this now, uh, at the time, Charlie Kendall and, Sh- and Shelly Style were item. So it came down to uh, as much as I'd like to meet Paul McCartney, I'd like to meet a Beatle and this and that, I gave the passes to Charlie and Shelly, and I said, one of you has to do the interview. And that's really what it, how it came about. It was just the right call. I sacrificed meeting a Beatle <laughs> so we'd get a killer interview on the air.
1: All right, so uh, from October 5th, 1976, an interview that Shelley Style did with Paul McCartney.
7: Is this the first time you put something this big on in a long
1: time?
6: Yeah, it's not even in a long time. Just It is the first time I've ever put anything this big on. Uh, yeah. It's very big, isn't it? Yeah, but it has to be, you know, because the halls are so big. and you You couldn't do a sort of dinky thing with that many people, you know.
7: On your uh, European tour, wasn't it that big of a production at that time around?
6: Well, the halls were smaller, you know, so, I mean, when you're playing in a 20,000er, it's just, you have to scale up the equipment, uh, just really to make sure that the people right at the back of the hall can hear it
7: the people feeling
6: now? Right? Oh, the audience, yes. They really seem to be
7: enjoying it, you know. They really seem to get Wasn't Turned it on. frightening at one point tonight with that roar and just the place it's seemed right. like it was going to come down on yes, top of the... is... you. were just a mad dog tonight. Uh oh mad dog. Yeah. Uh oh. English <laughs> mad
4: dog.
7: You were now you mad dogs and
6: the English man. That was good night it was
7: a really good we enjoyed it you
6: know we had a good show sure. for us tonight Joe's a good drummer he's a decent drummer he's a
7: decent drummer <laughs> as one of the reviews said a decent drummer <laughs> so tell me um, I was listening to a thing the other day on the radio uh, they had done an interview with you from a while ago you were talking about your university tours and how you felt that you had to build up the band from yeah. scratch again after you left the Beatles and how you almost felt like you had to pay your dues all over again
6: well, it was a question of starting again, you know, from scratch with a whole bunch of different people. Um, you know, some groups kind of reform with two of the original members or three, and they've got to just get one or two people in. But uh, with our thing, we did it with a whole new bunch of people completely, you know, so uh, it was kind of difficult to get together. <laughs> we just kind of thought it could work out and. Uh, We we felt that particularly when we got Joe, because we we played with a lot of other people. Once we started to get Joe, in you know and work with him, we kind of saw a whole new possibility, you know. So uh, that's really what we've come and done, you know. We just come to play to the folks and. uh...
7: Is that fanatical drumming that I saw tonight? Is uh, this band totally responsible for that? You really get a lot of energy off the band. There
6: was a lot of energy tonight. Yeah, there was a lot of energy tonight. But no, he's always done that. You know, he's, I think he did that with his last (laughs) band. You know, he's a a certified mad dog. Aggressive. Mad dog, the Englishman. Go out
3: in the noonday sun. Did you
7: visit any relatives? I just had 13, lucky 13 come and visit me. Did you really? Yeah, and I haven't seen them since I was about seven or something. You know, it's great. You were telling me um, that you've never had any professional training whatsoever. Well, I had piano lessons when I was a kid, but I hated it. But nothing that would uh, meld you into a band right away? Not at all, no. And Paul wasn't any help at all? Oh, he was a help, but he he didn't really teach me, you know. Something you got to learn yourself, really, or take lessons, which isn't much fun. So, so. how did you do it? Did you just basically got in. I watched everybody in the band because like Denny plays a bit of keyboard, Jimmy watches a bit. I learn from different people and you soon pick it up. If you know the chords, you've just got to get the rhythm and the timing. That's right. <laughs> and the harmonies are, I suppose, it's the same way because you still have that really beautiful harmony that you felt in the, in the Beatles. You still have that quality to it.
6: Well, you know, they're singing good. They sing good harmonies, you know.
4: <laughs> when they're oh, The good, good,
6: like, you know, like,
4: yeah. That's the nice thing, actually, about this, <laughs> this tour. People are
7: singing, getting you know, up to date. You know, they, they come to this show wondering what it'll be, and they leave knowing what we are at this point. Right. It'll be different next year. That's right, because you've been so invisible for so long.
6: Yeah, it gives everyone a chance to kind of catch up with what's going on you on our scene, up? you know. And you know, it's nice for us too, because you know, after a while, people start asking about Wings instead of just the inevitable questions about the Beatles. They still ask them, but they're, they're really dropping off. You know, people kind of want to know about this thing that's going on there.
7: Well, it's, I think the whole Wings thing is just finally starting to blossom out all of a sudden. Maybe you pick the exact timing or something. Maybe it's been the past couple of albums, but you. The past couple
6: just of hours, I think. Hours. <laughs> yeah.
8: Life. That's, that's
6: yeah it's no we've been kind of a bit lucky on the timing you know i mean even we were playing paris and jimmy broke his uh, finger you know and uh, that was looking like it was going to be oh you know bad timing but it actually worked out okay because we get you know he got four weeks for it to heal and in that time the record joe gained 20 pounds and got a suntan and uh the record kind of got a little bit more known you know so the timing even in a bad thing worked out okay just got to trust to the old fate haven't you
7: yeah it's the same timing that you were speaking about with the beatles it just sort of happened to click at that time too and it was a good band
6: sure yeah, thank you it
5: <laughs>
7: <laughs> was a rather good band how's it feel with this band at this point
6: it feels great really feels good yeah you yeah. know it's the best it's felt uh, well, the main thing is, you know, if you go out and play live, if you can't get any tunes on, it's a drag. And if you can, if you feel you can, and if you feel you're playing them good, and it's sounding good, and the people are liking it, then you get very pleased with yourself, you know. It's a nice feeling.
7: You know, a lot of artists have been uh, recording live albums lately, and they've been getting some really instant success due to the live album. Frampton,
6: to name but five. <laughs>
7: <laughs> I need you. Show me Shop the way. You. Take it, take it, take it. But you were telling me you were going to uh, possibly put a live album together.
6: Yeah, that's why we've got a 24-track following us around relentlessly. <laughs> we need <laughs> we, we, instant success. No, we're trying to not even let him in the gigs, but he keeps trying to record sure us. No. So we say "All right."
3: that.
7: Have you really considered releasing
6: a live album? Well, it's just down to it. We'll listen to the tapes after we've done the tour. I don't really think anyone's got time or even wants to listen to them now. But when we've done the tour, then we'll listen to the tapes, and if there's anything good, then we'll think about it, yeah?
0: Did the
7: girls get to see the concert tonight?
6: Yes, they came tonight to see it, yeah. yeah they're going... <laughs> we just, uh, oh, they've been away for a couple of days with their relatives. Especially it's all right, zone. I'll just talk to myself here, folks. No. Anyway, they're not listening. Anyway, oh, Oh, one second. No, they'd been away at their relatives for a few days, and we were missing them a bit, so we brought them to tonight's show. Have
7: uh, Old Beatles been around any of the concerts so far? No. Nobody's coming
6: there. there was a rumor that everyone was going to appear at Toronto last night, but as with most rumors, it was a rumor.
7: What's, uh, what's in the plans right Like after this particular tour? Do you have anything in the can or anything? We're,
6: um, we're going to attempt Everest. We're having a go at it. Joe's got his backpack. Yep. Oxygen. we got the oxygen, backpack, ice dolphins. picks. So we, you know, we're going to have a go. Foothills, Himalayas. We're hey. All right, lads. Long-angle lens. <laughs> Long-angle
7: long lens, whole thing. Oh,
6: you know. I, I just, but that's tentative. That's tentative. <laughs> we're taking the tents, and they're probably going to oh. put them at base camp, too. Oh, but that's tentative.
7: I was going to ask you about the Beatle reunion. God, I bet you hate to hear this. Is it it going to happen or not? You can give it to me probably in one easy word. Uh, No. (laughs) That was it. Not for money anyhow. No,
6: No, There's a lot being talked about and stuff, and it kind of gets a bit confusing. But uh, it's really just that the offer was made, and uh, from having talked to everyone, uh, no one's really keen to do anything like that. Uh, but because the offer came yeah. up, everyone had to find an answer to it. Otherwise, everyone would have just kept cool and said nothing, you know, and just got on with what they're doing. So I say the answer from everyone, really, is sort of probably no. But if anything turns up, we won't close the door. Sure. But Denny won't let John use his guitar anyway, yeah. so. <laughs> no. You know. That's a problem. Okay. <laughs> you all right? fine. That's okay. WMMS. All right. yeah.
1: So October 5th, 1976, Ridgefield Coliseum, Paul McCartney and Wings. How did you end up getting this interview with Paul and Linda backstage?
5: A little uh, backstory on that. Um, Not only was I doing airtime at MMS, but I was also doing something called the Rock Report on WKYC, the NBC affiliate in Cleveland. I had done work with them in college and a fellow by the name of Dick Lobo, who is the general manager of the of the TV station, said, let's do a rock report. So I had flown to Detroit with an NBC camera crew and recorded a live interview backstage with Paul and Linda, which was shown on television. So when I get back... When they are announcing they're coming to Cleveland, they said that we would get an interview and Charlie, who was the music director and morning personality at the time, and my boyfriend was going to do it. Fine, no problem. So we go to the concert and Charlie takes a hit of acid and (laughs) was just was not able to do the interview. And he looks at me, he's like, I can't do it. So John said, all right, Shelly, you already met him once. You go, go do it. So both Charlie and I went backstage to do the interview. Now, I'm completely and totally unprepared. I had no idea that I was going to be put in that position. I had no questions ready. I had no nothing
1: how much time was there between you're doing the interview now that John says you're doing the interview to, you know, you're actually sitting there with Paul and Linda. How much time was that? Do you remember five minutes? No kidding.
5: No, right away. You know, we get pulled up after the concert and, and Charlie says, I can't do it. And John says, you're in, get backstage. And in my personal opinion, the interview was horrible. That's my own personal opinion. You know, had I been able to prepare for it, it might have been different. Um, but they were, we were backstage with the whole band. And you can hear that in the interview. You know, they were very, very accommodating. They were very nice. You know, Paul and Linda's kids were running around backstage. And and that's how it happened. Thanks to Charlie.
1: W-M-M-S. Solid, solid, solid gold. All right, so Shelley Styles' interview with Paul McCartney. And when we return, we have another special rare interview. But this time, the band's not from England. They're from Ireland. That'll be next. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
0: The pride of Cleveland on WMMS. That's not, that's not, it's not J.D. Snotcrass knows there's nothing finer than getting into someone's pants and finding they're wearing a pair of denim underwear. So right now, we're having a sale on these sensual shorts. If you buy 99 pairs at the regular price of $10 each, you get the 100th pair for one cent less. They come in all sizes and all colors for dudes and chicks. So if you can't get into anyone else's, get your own denim underwear. Buy 99 pairs at the regular price of $10 each. Get the 100th pair for one cent less at our house. JD.
4: Snot, not, snot, 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 snot grass.
1: More toxic rock from
0: WMMS, Cleveland.
1: All right, so it's May 19th of 1983, Public Hall, Cleveland. There's a seven-year-old band named U2, and they released their third album. It's called War and they're going on tour, and Bono and the Edge stopped by WMMS, and they chatted with Kidley a little bit before the show. So here is that interview we're going to share with you now here on this bonus episode of The Wrath of the Buzzard.
0: its three twenty-three is 321-D3, Kid Leo on WMMS, and special guest in town tonight at Music Hall, you too, we have Edge and Bono, and welcome back to Cleveland, gentlemen.
8: It's good to be here. Uh-huh. Yes,
0: indeed. It's uh, You're coming back uh, with definitely your biggest album, and it, most opinions consider it your best as well. Which is kind of nice to tie together that way. For the LP war we stripped down our sound.
9: The sound, sort of cinema sound mm-hmm. that had been associated with u two over the over the boy record and October record. We stripped it right down because we feel that rock and roll had got too bloated and too know. sort of far fetched and we brought it right down and a song like Sunday Bloody
0: Sunday. Is, uh, is a result of that. See, you are uh, when you came out, there were a lot of comparisons to the Who. I don't think musically is what they were talking about, but in in intensity.
8: Mm. The spirit of, yes. of you too. Right. I mean, that's what I see. A lot of people are saying to me in interviews, what do you feel, Edge, about the kind of the, the way your sound is being um, ripped off and everything, do you mind? And I have to say, well, U2 is not a sound, it's a spirit. And mm-hmm. if people rip off the sound and they're missing the point, if they rip off the spirit, then I, I just applaud them because it's something that is the basis of good music. It's It's something that all the best bands had.
0: You know, the question is, though, if and you are intense, can if you do keep on burning that candle and burning it, can it get to a point where you burn out?
8: Yeah, I'm uh-huh. sure it can.
9: You know, we've talked to Townsend about this. Townsend, we uh, spent some time with him. You know, the as somebody I really respect in the, in the business, and I think that's why he's he's killed the who. You mm-hmm. know, because he felt that they had they had burned out, and I think there's too many people are continuing on when they know that they've burnt out. And they're just cynically doing it for financial reasons. And, you, uh, you know, musically, we don't share share anything with the Who, only, only the power. But mm-hmm. we're a new band. People have got to stop looking back and start looking forward. This is 1983. Progressive
0: music must progress or else it defeats the purpose. You become stale, stagnant. Does that fact that a burnout factor can be built in, does that worry you? At some point, may you, uh, hopefully it goes on for as long as the Who did, uh, even longer god uh, bless but does yeah. it worry is that in the back of your mind I are we too intense
8: the the commitment that is part of being in this band will will never kind of be substituted i think when we formed the group as i say it was because we believed in music and we wanted to to be creative in this medium if we if we lose that i don't think the band will carry on so essentially we we safeguard that by just the pure motivation behind the band there's So many bands, seemingly in this country and probably in in Great Britain as well, that seem to be in music because they were attracted to the kind of maverick lifestyle. Mm-hmm. But that really was never part of of the reason why we formed a band. And that I think is one of the reasons why we're set apart. And likewise
9: to Jagger, likewise to any of the or Springsteen or or Lennon, uh, God bless him. A lot of the people. Uh, who were associated with a kind of you know rock and roll just throw away man it's you know let's kick ass party let's, yes. let's party they were very they were very intense about their work. Mm-hmm. Very, they took themselves very seriously. They may have, you know, they might have held a wine glass in a certain way or they may have fallen over at a party or two. But ultimately they got up the next morning early before the rest of the band. Mm-hmm. Okay? And and they got their guitar and they put it on their lap and they worked. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's about. And uh, that mustn't die, you know, uh, people say, you know, rock and roll is dead or whatever. It's usually the people themselves that are dead.
0: (laughs) Uh (laughs) Let's let's really talk about war right now. It is your most, uh, I use this word a lot, I think, uh, because it fits uh, you, uh, intense. Uh, But it also, you're taking a direction now where it seems you're involved, not only musically, but uh, lyrically, a statement is being made. Uh, this time around,
9: yeah, the first two LPS were quite introspective.
0: I was you know, I was trying to describe what was going on in my
9: own life. All my lyrics are, are autobiographical, and you know because I, fi- I find that that's when I'm most honest when I'm talking about things I know, like myself. Mm. <laughs> and uh, boy, it was quite a sexual LP, and I was trying to describe a lot of the feelings that it seemed a lot of people were walking away from. It was just the anger of growing up when I was eighteen, I was a very angry kind of a person. I was trying to express that and then October was a a different thing I was discovering things about what we make in October I was discovering things about myself I didn't even know were there but for war it's kind of like lifting my head up and I wanted to make a statement a bit more uh, to do with like other people's lives and being away from home made us think a lot about home and the situation in in Northern Ireland and and Southern Ireland where we live Mm -hmm. and so we wanted to speak out against the violence and you know, there's, there's a peculiar ambivalence towards the men of violence. You know, on one level, we condemn them. And on another level, you know, we find ourselves calling them freedom fighters and whatever.
0: They're, they're, think, they're somewhat romantic. Uh, you yeah, know there
9: is that romantic. But it's not, it's not romantic when somebody's lying uh-huh. dead in the gutter or kneecapped. Yeah, in the movies, it's fine. And especially you know, in this country, we felt like, you know, that there was a misunderstanding. And we wanted to speak out. And in the song, Sunday Bloody Sunday, it just says, how long must we sing this song? How hmm. long must we go on? Uh, like in this violence and it's 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 for for us we we just felt we had to speak out and the lp is about more than that but that was one aspect of
8: it yeah i think all our records have managed to to pluck something of the era they were they were written and recorded in both boy and october seemed to sum up a mood that was around that time the the innocence and the sort of sexuality of of boy when music in britain and and everywhere was sort of going through a a radical um reappraisal october was slightly colder quite a mm-hmm. spiritual record now war just seems to sum up something of the feeling that that seems to be around on every level not just the kind of obvious uh, struggle between nations but war in the home the family mm-hmm. sort of struggle and the friction of a city I, th- yeah, I, mean, I think right
0: the, the Sunday Bloody Sunday and the title War would make people tend to uh, f- kind of focus on that.
9: But, yeah, it's, yeah, I'm glad you're not actually, yeah. and it, it's amazing people, are, you know, have been dwelling on that a bit, mm-hmm. and I think it's wrong because the record is its its theme is a surrender. Mm-hmm. You know, we have white yes. flags on our stage, and you know, it's a very strong theme of love in the record. And as people, we're 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 not pessimists; we're very much optimists. Like we believe in music, we believe in people. And, like, our concerts are a real celebration. They're not a downer. There's a lot of kind of, uh, would you call it? Funeral march music about at the moment, and I've no time for it. You know, you get these people, these protesting as they get up, and it's like, whoa, you know, everything's really bad. And oh god, and I don't want to get up in the morning because I'm going to walk across the street and I'm going to get knocked down. And you know, I can't afford to get knocked down because I haven't got my medical insurance. Oh god, I'm going to shoot my <laughs> wife because she didn't get it done. Uh, you know that, you know the rock uh, uh, And I just want to shut up. Yeah, thanks you know? a lot. Uh, I
0: was having a fine day until <laughs> yeah, just shut up,
9: right? But it's but our music is realistic at the same time. Are it's people, not escapist. Uh, We're not kind of painful in her face and kind of going Wally Wumba you know what I mean mm. it's like it's a realism that that has always been associated with great music if you think back to, to, to Lennon or to Dylan these are the people we were listening to I'll mm. be talking about our contemporaries I mean with the, there are exceptions but I find a lot of our contemporaries a bit boring to be honest mm. and uh, they just seem to be avoiding the issue rather than coming to terms
0: with it because of this though our people. You are uh, being looked upon like political now. Now, Not that you are. uh, Your statement is uh, more of a politics of people. Of of people. Okay. Yeah. But that that in a sense uh, can be looked upon as politics uh, as well. Uh, How do you are you finding more and more people? uh, Obviously, you are pushing you into the fact. Well, what 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 do you mean by this? What what what?
9: uh, Yeah, we've college professors and people coming down doing theses on the group, (laughs) uh, and like how did you feel on you know July the first, you know when I will follow was conceived. And we just laugh. Oh,
0: I was going to ask that question.
9: <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, uh-huh. I can't take that yeah. seriously. At uh-huh. the same time, we've got people at the front row who are just into the excitement of the music and the power of the music. Yeah. yeah. I
8: think people misinterpret what we're doing. I think it's such a, a natural part of us that we've never had to be contrived or think it out. <clears throat> in the same way, I'd like to say that none of the albums are concept albums. You know, they are merely statements, personal statements, about things that we honestly have very definite opinions and um things about so we've never we've never kind of intellectualized anything it's it's all very very natural and so i I, that's why bono said we kind of laugh when people start getting too arty about the ideas because Hmm. it's really a personal statement it's not a it's not a political manifesto and that's why there is a political aspect to it because our country certainly has in trouble yes, trouble in that area a long you know.
0: time trouble yes. yeah. Uh, you know, yeah that's a good point because people I, I'd rather I think you should be intelligent not intellectual there's okay. a fine, I like fine that. line I mean yeah. be intelligent about things but you don't uh, debate them to yeah. death it takes away the spontaneity of things
9: you know rock and roll shouldn't be just one thing or the other you yeah. know way you get these people and say right well you know i've got long hair and i've got this and i'm into heavy metal and you get another guy and he says i've got a safety pin through my nose and I've spiked hair i'm a punk rocker that's so conservative to be to be like that <laughs> it's a great that uh, you know it's like a uniform yes. isn't it yes. i mean it's like yes. it's just yeah. like wearing a suit uh-huh. i mean like i was never into wearing suits because i felt like there was a uniform and i didn't get a job in in, in a bank because you know uh they wouldn't have me but <laughs> no I mean I just wasn't into it or whatever and uh, it seems odd that we should turn youth culture into a uniforms you know I'm this I'm that I listen to this type of music well I listen to the other well, well rubbish you know because music should break down barriers not build them you throw out the rule book it's either great music or it's not great music you know and I don't like people to, to, to get confused about us in this respect we're a rock and roll band you know right. it's, that's what it's about ultimately it's about the beat of the bass drum, it's about the slash of the guitar, right. and, and it's right. about the, the singer when he fails to reach the note, when he just misses it, but when, it, when he's going
0: for it. That's think it's true, because you were probably embraced, first of all, by the uh, the new wave crowd, okay, we're going to talk about crowds, mm-hmm. and but the thing is, your, your music is as powerful, musically, as a, a heavy metal band, so there's no reason why that camp can't enjoy you too, but these people, you're right, they take sides, and it, it's... Uh,
9: well, it's wrong, it's got to yeah. stop, you know, and uh, I think it is stopping. And we're finding that a lot of people, right, you know, spans many different areas of interest in music are coming to our concerts. And so there's a unity, even for an hour and a half when we're on stage, there's a unity. And tonight will be a, spe- a special concert in, in that respect, I hope. And you'll be in the audience, you take a look around you, you're going to see a lot of different types of people. But they've one thing in common, right, and that they're into great music. <laughs> if You know, I don't want to say... That shouldn't sound arrogant. I didn't mean it to sound... But it, I mean it in
0: the sense that... Sounds confident. I mean, that's you have to have that too. You know? yeah, well, yeah, okay. Okay? Okay. 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 <laughs> okay. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, I read something. You, you were described as... Uh, what was this here? Uh, I like this. Uh, you got uh, A horny emotional guy who needs Christianity. W- what does that mean? Hey, a musician I don't right know who ever dared <laughs> to describe me as me. Yeah,
9: <laughs> because uh, of, he's, uh, he's looking for a broken nose. Um... I don't know. You've got words over here, really odd words like "kick ass" or "horny" or things like that. I, I don't really understand the words. I, I think they're very interesting, but uh, and and it says there. See, uh, because I, in me as a person, I have a belief in God. I don't shut my mouth off about it because it seems there's too many people shutting their mouth off about it. I just keep it to myself. Mm-hmm. For me, there is a reason to get up in the morning and. I just don't want to just, you know, go to work, come back, get married, have a job, kids, die. I think there's much more to that. And that's reflected in the optimism of the music. But uh, I don't, what does
0: that word mean, kid? (laughs) Horny. Let's Uh, see, uh, this is a family show at times. (laughs) It means... um, Why are you blushing, kid? <laughs> uh, yeah, you're randy I, I think uh, the British use randy as. Uh, oh do uh, they oh well then go then for it I mean yeah. definite <laughs> misnomer so um, uh, mm-hmm. also another thing in the article uh, which I thought was a great article you, you said that you wouldn't mind writing a song that Barbara Streisand or Aretha Franklin could cover
9: hey she's I like a, Aretha yeah. Franklin oh I love she's her she's yeah. a man and Barbara Streisand well Frank Sinatra is another person mm-hmm. but, but I think we've there's yeah. many years left yeah. now <laughs> yeah
0: now, that would mean writing basically going maybe going back to the first album uh, and that 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 yearning for love, or a need for uh, reflections of love <coughs> in certain forms, horniness, etc. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Is this getting out uh, of hand? I guess, uh, I, no, well,
9: whoever wrote that, I swear I am. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm
0: I, gonna, I didn't. I just, I just read it. Uh, I'll, I'll give you the magazine. You can take it back. And that's okay, that. <laughs> okay. You give me his address. Okay. And, yeah. and because he's uh, doing me. A, we know where he parks
8: his car. Uh, yeah. well, yes. well, listen, Ed. Too much of a
0: gentleman. Uh, gentleman for, and by yeah. I want to thank you for coming down. And tonight, I think yeah. it's going to be uh, intense. Serving the universe for over a decade. This is W.M.M.S.
1: Cleveland. So that was Kid Leo's 1983 interview with you 2 here on another episode of The Wrath of the Buzzard, a great bonus episode here. So although the entirety of The Wrath of the Buzzard lasts six episodes in just over five hours, there's still parts that didn't make it for one reason or another. And that's what we're going to get to in this segment, things that just kind of were left on the cutting room floor. Billy Bass, he's a figure from the early days of WMMS, and you can really hear him mostly in Episode 1 and 2. He's also a little bit at the end of Episode 6. He's got some great stories about his background, how he got to WMMS, and he was a guy who really honestly laid the foundation for the success of WMMS down the road. So here's some great stories and one scary story from his younger days in Cleveland.
4: At recess, (laughs) we would all be out in the playground, and the only conversation that you could hear, and if you didn't hear what Moondog played on the the radio that night, you couldn't be involved in the conversation. (laughs) That's all we talked about, were these records. And this is what got me started loving records. I talked to the kids in the playground, then I come down to the Cosmopolitan, and there's the jukebox right there, and the, the guys that were sitting at the bar, You know, you could get three plays for a dime back then. This is how old I am, okay? (laughs) You could get three plays for a dime. One guy would give me a dime and I'd go and I'd play three records. And he guy oh man, I gotta play some good music here. Pick out some more records. So now I got a dime (laughs) and I can put another record on and they don't know I can put one more record on. I can take that dime, change that dime into a nickel add play another record and it's like the three just add keeps going and every every time somebody gives me a dime I would just add and change it into a nickel and add another song. And man I was making bank I was coming home with like 30 or 40 cents a day. <laughs> you hear me? I was in the money <laughs> and it was just playing these records and I loved all these records. I loved the, that bluesy sound. I loved R&B. It, it just sounded so good. It was real earthy, you know, and I, and I, I, I just started there. I grew up and I got, a, 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 got married and I got a real job and I'm working at FW Woolworths. I was the assistant manager and the manager said, our record department is not doing well. Can you do something to spice it up a little bit? Believe it or not, the next night, Sunday night. The Beatles showed up on the Ed Sullivan show. <laughs> so I come to work on Monday and I say to my manager, Mr. Shoemaker, I want to buy 500 Meet the Beatle albums. And I want to put them on this end counter right here where we have the Aquanet. Aquanet was the biggest. Yeah, that was the biggest seller in the, in the five intensive store. He looked at me like I was crazy. I said, are you out of your mind? I'm giving you, you need to think of something else because then we're not doing that. I'm not giving, taking away the Aquana. I said, just for a minute, just try it, try it. And he said, you're going to buy 500 albums? I said, yeah. He said, if this doesn't work, you're fired. We got the records delivered on Tuesday. By Wednesday night, all 500, all 500 Meet the Beatle albums are gone because mainly we were probably the only store in town that was bold enough to buy 500 copies. You know, people were buying five or 10 copies. We had 500 copies. We, we never ran out of the records until Wednesday night. <laughs> I was able to say when I left radio to all the record promotion men, you weren't able to buy me and I wasn't able to buy you guys. You know, it was a real relationship. We never we never took a dime from any promoter to play a record. If the, if the record wasn't right for us, we wouldn't play it. I, re- I can tell you a story. I won't mention artists, but there was an artist that had a single on, on Wixie, a very popular record, and they did an underground sort of track. And the record company thought that we should be playing that track. But we weren't. We weren't going to play it because it wasn't for us. I get a uh, call on the phone. The reception says there's two guys out here to see you. And I said, "Who are they?" She said, "I don't know, but they are very insistent on seeing you." And before I uh, before that call ended, I looked up at the door and there's two guys there, <laughs> and and they're dressed in their winter clothes. And they they come in the office. They said, uh, "Look, and the nicest guys you ever want to meet." They said, "Look, there's." There's an easy way to do this and a hard way to do this. We have this record. All you have to do is put it on the radio, just play it, and we'll leave. I said, I can't play that record, man. We're not playing that record. And then this one guy throws his coat back like this and shows the shotgun in his coat. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> now I'm, I'm shaking. I'm scared. I, you know, well, what do you want me to do? And they said, "Look, we don't. We understand who you know. We 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 get paid as long as as long as you play that record. Just go in and play the record one time. We don't care if you never play it again. Just go in there and play it one time." So I walked in with into the studio with David, and I said, "David, you gotta play this record." And David said, "I'm not playing the record." (laughs) I said, "David, you gotta play the record. Just play it. Just trust me. Just put the record on." He put the record on. It was horrible. The guys said, thank you very much, and left. That was the only experience I had the whole time I was in radio with pressure from a record company to play a record. The Rock of Cleveland, W-M-N-S.
1: All right, so coming up on the third and final Wrath of the Buzzard bonus episode, we're going to hear two more of Denny's interviews, one with a solo artist from Detroit and the other with some punks from New York. That'll be on the next episode, the next bonus episode of The Wrath of the Buzzard.
3: The Wrath of the Buzzard. W-M-M-S.
8: Buzzards.
1: Profile Season 2, The Wrath of the Buzzard, is a Wessler Media production. It's created by me, Vince Tornero, and produced by Kevin Scuback. Special thanks to our bonus episode studio engineer at Evergreen Podcasts, Dave Douglas. Thanks, Dave. Listen to all six regular episodes wherever you get podcasts, and be sure to leave us a five-star rating when you do. Thanks to every single person who made this series possible. And thanks to you for listening. We'll talk to you on the next episode of The Wrath of the Buzzard.